correcting a little bit on the old music there, Katie. Like, I mean, you said you wanted it to be, like, lighter or whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. And, like, that, that is, that is definitely lighter. Do you think this is a bit like when, do you remember like Pharrell Williams had to like make that song for that film, that happy song, and they said it wasn't happy enough, so then he went and he made like a song called Happy. Is that what you're after doing, Katie? You guys, I mean, Katie, I'm sure that took like ages to do. Like, it's not like we're making music or anything. Thank you, Sertia. You could all like learn a bit from, you know, the one nice person we have in the group. Whoa, that is Jesus. You could take a joke. Oh, like, Jesus you, you guys, Christ. you guys, you guys here. We're we're getting we're getting sidetracked again. Um uh, thank you, Katie, for for our our um lovingly prepared music. But uh like let's get down to it. Show number two, episode two, you guys. That's right, that's right, that's right, Sarah. And we're here to work, aren't we, girls? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Beyonce don't take no time off. And now that we're the most famous five girls in college, I think we're just gonna have to take a similar approach. I mean, this this right here, this is our Coachella. Let's <laughs> <laughs> gotta deal come with, up with that reference. What? I had two drinks bought for me this week by people I ain't never met before. And I mean pfft, I'm here for it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like here, okay, ladies. Before we all start deciding on like our writers or whatever, uh, Haribo, Haribo, uh, in Katie's dressing room, please. There is a Haribo in your bag, and you know there is. <laughs> but like, yeah, let's um, let's start off by introducing the next book that we're gonna discuss. Marion Keys's Rachel's Holiday. Is it not Haribo though? You are so like upsettingly bad. Rachel's holiday. What? Oh, uh, yeah, right. But before we get into it, some feedback we received from our listeners last week was that a summary of the story at the very beginning, as opposed to midway through after we'd already started talking about it, would be helpful. Here's Sersha with the blurb describing what happens in Rachel's holiday. Seriously? Did you, like, practice how to make that sound like I handed you a piece of paper? Why do you ask? <laughs> Whatever. Um, Sersha, could you take us through it like a professional, please? Ah, uh, um, sure. Um, okay. Meet, meet Rachel Walsh. She has a pair of size 8 feet and such a fondness for recreational drugs that her family has forked out the cash for a spell in the cloisters. Dublin's answer to the Betty Ford Clinic. She's only agreed to her incarceration because she's heard that rehab is wall-to-wall jacuzzis, gymnasiums and rock stars going tepid turkey. And it's about time she had a holiday. But what Rachel doesn't count on are the toe-curling embarrassments heaped on her by family and group therapy, the lack of sex, drugs and rock and roll, and missing Luke, her ex. What kind of a new start in life is this? Um, like, like that? What? I, I'm not being mean here. Like, I just thought it would be good if we had a bit of a format, make it easier for people to follow what was going on. No? I, here, we're only joking, Sarah. You're a truly benevolent ruler. Uh, an iron fist in a velvet glove. Not, not unlike Beyonce. Your arse is very nice. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so, Jesus, 
So Rachel's Holiday was published in 1997, two years after Watermelon. Rachel is another member of the Walsh family. We mentioned last week that there are a couple of different books about different members of the family. So this is the second one. Um, we, uh, we met Claire in the last episode and Rachel actually wasn't present in, in the country. She wasn't in Ireland during the events of, of Watermelon. She was living it up in the States. Um, most of the Walshes now, they're, they're present and accounted for in this book too. So, I mean, that, that was a big part of what made it an obvious choice for our next book to read and, uh, and also to talk about here. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we're, we're also going to keep the spoilers to a minimum here anyway. But, um, what we know going in is that Rachel is living in New York, has, or, you know, I think we can safely say had a boyfriend named Luke and is currently being carted home to rehab for drug abuse. So who wants to go first? Uh, I hear Sarah. What? Okay. Uh, fair enough, I guess. Um, well, I, I really liked it. I, I, I loved it. <laughs> well, I mean, we all know you liked it. And like, what, what, what's, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> well, like that Luke fella is sort of your type oh no i don't know about that clean i didn't some random or football fan follow you on instagram and twitter there during the week katie you want bad looking nader chloe jesus what it's on the internet for everyone to see katie it's a matter of public record <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying you I, you don't have to limit yourself oh. is all <laughs> i hate football chloe or do you just love guitarists katie uh, Luke in the book wasn't a guitarist. Get your facts straight. Yeah, boy. Get your facts straight. Uh, air guitar, guitar. Point is, they all have too much hair. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I, I should have been clearer. I guess when when we we started off, so um, we've got we've got the blurb for for the story. Um, we'll read an excerpt in in a little bit, um, and then then we'll we'll have a chat about um, all of the the lovely things and 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 attractive men, hairy that, men. They're all very uh, hairy. Appear in it. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> but like if we if we go back to, to even just the title of the show, you know, we're we're chicklet for life. We we wanna see if uh if Marion Keys can truly cure heartbreak. Um maybe Sersha. Uh we were talking last week about how Watermelon made a, a contribution to you getting over breaking up with Aedon and the the place that it had put you in. Um Rachel's Holiday was the book we read next. W- did it add on to the situation? What was uh, what did it yet yeah, do for you? in your your heartbreak journey oh um it's so funny i i kind of uh, it's almost like i sort of put watermelon as like a like a a full stop after the whole heartbreak thing because like the fact is once we started reading these books together and and like getting together to talk about them and and all of our different i don't know uh, our takeaways and all that kind of thing that was as as great as the books are, the fact that we were like discussing it and like coming up with our own ideas about what different things meant and and all of that. I mean, that's I think that was the real thing that that helped me. What do you mean? What different things meant? There's only so many ways you can interpret riding in the back of a taxi, Sertia. Oh, Jesus Christ, Chloe, this is what it, what it, I mean. You just everything I said earlier, you just completely ignored. But I'm here because I'm the wild card, innit? You're here to increase our reach to, you know, Northside Dubliners. Trunkandra is on the north side. Sersha is also a north sider. How many times do I have to bleed and say it? She's right. I really am. <laughs> Sersha doesn't even own a pair of runners. <laughs> I have runners that I do my triathlons in. You couldn't even back me up properly. 
this time. I had to bring up bleeding partial triathlons. You're going to be talking about going to the 40 foot next. Oh my God, I love the 40 foot. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. Um, Okay. Um, I'm really sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Moving on, moving on. Um, Maybe, maybe Kleena. Yeah, Kleena. You, you were also um, having, having a tough time. You were also having a good of time when we were reading um water <clears throat> when we were reading Watermelon Festivalism, everyone. When we were reading Watermelon. And um did this uh did Rachel's holiday add anything on for you, maybe? Uh yeah, yeah, I suppose. Like um like we were talking last week a little bit about how Claire was like flawed and, and how and, and the rest of the family were, were all pretty flawed as well and they all kind of brought their own um, th- th- their own flavor to to helping Claire uh, figure out who she was and what she wanted to do, and like Rachel's the same. She's she's in my opinion more flawed than the others now, and that's not like a crack about like drug addiction or anything like that. It's the the we'll talk a bit more about it later. Like the the drug addiction is like a symptom of something else that's happening for her. But what I thought was real interesting was like she had. A, a real problem with shame like she'd sort of do things and and then wonder oh wh- why did I do that or oh that was so stupid I, I look like an idiot and like that I thought that was real relatable like the, the whole thing earlier in the year I like oh, I went into that radio show and I thought it was great and and it just sort of pulled the rug out from under me altogether and like that's that's a big part of what's, what Rachel is struggling with, like throughout the whole book and what she needs to find a way around. And, and it's not about like her getting punished for doing these things that she's ashamed about. Cause I think that's something that, that we can often think, you know, I don't know if it's the church or if it's just being Irish and apologizing all the time, but like, the fact of like making peace, this is going to sound really new age and stupid, but like making peace with things you've done and moving on. Like I just, that was, that was real, that resonated with me like a lot. Jesus, are you kind of going to start a cult or something, Kleena? I would be absolutely fine with you being my spiritual leader based solely on that speech. And like, would you pay money to like go to a Tony Robbins style seminar type thing? Well, like, would you shout at me the way he like, shout at people like only if you were being like a dickhead like and taking all the pizza or there'd be pizza at, at like the lunchtime I think that's that'd be a core part of my philosophy would be pizza I mean me too you guys okay um before we get into um any kind of issues with separating church and and radio uh, station policies is that a thing I feel like that's a thing. I should really read that handbook. We should all read that handbook. You haven't read the handbook? Of course. Oh so she's read the handbook. <laughs> well, is there Anton in there about, like, starting your own religion on air or anything like that? Well, like, uh, not that I remember, but we really shouldn't be admitting that we haven't read the appropriate literature on air. What if the student union kick us off? I mean, okay, 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 let's move on. Saoirse's head might genuinely explode. Katie, were Luke's trousers tight enough? There are no pictures in these books. You are supposed to use your imagination. Well, then, yeah, they were perfectly tight the whole way through the book. 
Even when he wasn't wearing trousers. Especially when he wasn't wearing trousers. Lena, <gasps> definitely, <gasps> you storeboards! <laughs> what? Like, I think we can all agree that, like, this book was a lot sexier than Watermelon, right? Considering that, like, most of it takes place in, like, a rehab place. Yeah. They weren't allowed, like, have any kind of relationships, though, in the rehab place. I think, like, that's really important to to make clear, I think, you know, so that people don't get, like, the wrong idea about rehab. Well, like, I suppose you could consider this an advertisement. No, do you know what? That's, that's, that's too far. I'm not okay at making that joke. That's That's a good call. Dude. But like, do you ever think like about like, like I know it'd be real horrible to have like an addiction or something or like have like something real horrible happen to you and like need to go to a support group and stuff. But like, do you ever think about like if you had like a shared trauma and then you went to a group and then they were like your people and you and y'all you, you got to know them real well and and like you all supported each other and you were like lifelong friends and stuff afterwards like. It'd be horrible and all, but like there'd be, I don't know, in a sense of like community and stuff. Do you ever think about that? Do we ever think about a horrible thing happening in your life where you'd need to go to a support group and like what that would be like and whether you'd make like friends with those people? Yeah. Oh yeah, like all the time. You can't joke about those things, you guys. Actually, yeah, Katie, where does that, like, allow for your entry into the Woke Olympics? Jokes like that. It'd get you disqualified in the preliminaries, wouldn't it? Oh, you're just so funny. Jesus. I mean, God forbid you'd come up with another joke. What does God have to do with anything, Miss Atheist? You guys, we just talked about how we can't talk about this kind of stuff. You need to read the handbook. Saoirse, sweetheart, we're never gonna read the handbook. Not while Luke Costello's parading around the pages of a book wearing just a towel, like, preach. Well, I suppose two shows is an okay run to have. Uh, yeah. I suppose it's more than I thought I'd get out of this. I'd get out of this? I, we, um, I, I don't, I don't know, man. You guys, I think we broke Sarah. About time, really. Doesn't really matter how nice your arse is. You know, there's only so much you can take. We should we should take a beat here to say that objectification is wrong. But Sarah's arse is, like, proper nice. Come by when she's in her yoga pants on a Thursday. What is it about Thursdays? Like, it's just, I think you're going to have a shower that night because you're going to go out. So, like, why would you bother beforehand? So you're just going to get into, like, workout leggings and all. Why are we having this conversation? This is supposed to be about books. Surrealism is in. Use country people and use our surrealism. Limerick and a tie aren't the same place. Just like not even close to each other, Chloe. I am doing science, not geography. So isn't geography a type of science though? <laughs> geography. Okay, that, that's it. That's it. We're, we're taking a break. Taking a break right now. We'll be back later. Um, uh, after ads, Dude, you okay? um, I need ah, fair. I need I, I need a second. See you in a minute. Bye. You've heard of Headspace. Now, try Hipbone, a new app developed by the School of Psychology and Sports and Recreation with help from IT. 
Hippon blends the teachings of Confucius, the Tao Te Ching, and sects of Buddhism to help you maintain your Insta body with tailored 1200 calorie diets, weekly workout challenges, daily squat challenges, and Facetune tutorials, all available for $9.99 a month. Join us on the pathway to inner peace and outer awesome. Get that booty poppin' the mindful way. Hip bone. Join now. That is appalling. Like, yeah, what's wrong with Slim and War? Like, dude, it's called hip bone. It's promoting eating disorders. Is it? Uh, a mindful approach to avoiding food cravings, a lifestyle of, like, eating less. That sounds like an eating disorder to me. I'm going to report this to the student union. It's not okay. But, like, sometimes people want to lose weight, though. 12,000 calories is, like, what people were given to eat in, like, Auschwitz. <gasps> oh my god, is that true? Yeah, I have a friend that went and, like, yeah, we haven't been on a diet since then. To be honest, it's just the new corset for like women now is malnourishment. Seriously. So like is like yoga and stuff anti-feminist? Is that it? Chloe, dude, they didn't mention yoga like once. What are asking a question? Um, Jesus. Uh, okay, um, well, politics aside, uh, welcome everyone back to, to Chicklet for Life. Um, as we mentioned before the break, we're talking about Rachel's holiday this uh, this week. And um, we're, we're just in time to, um, to read an excerpt from the book. Now, um, Chloe, you didn't do any reading of, of anything last week. Sure you didn't? Correct, Sarah. And I was very, very offended. <laughs> well, would you do us the honour of, of reading today's excerpt? Oh, gracious and, and attractive, Chloe. Where'd you learn how to say things like that? Do they talk like that on them, like, Korean programmes and stuff you watch? Is that where, is that where you picked all this stuff up? Is it? Read the page. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, yeah. They said I was a drug addict. I found that hard to come to terms with. I was a middle-class, convent-educated girl whose drug use was strictly recreational. And surely drug addicts were thinner. It was true that I took drugs, but what no one seemed to understand was that my drug use wasn't any different from their having a drink or two on a Friday night after work. They might have a few vodkas and tonic and let off a bit of steam. I had a couple of lines of cocaine. And did likewise. As I said to my father and sister and my sister's husband, and eventually the therapists of the cloisters, if cocaine was sold in liquid form in a bottle, would you complain about me taking it? Well, would you? No, no, I bet you wouldn't. I was offended by the drug addict allegation because I was nothing like one. Apart from the track marks on their arms, they had like dirty hair, constantly seemed cold, did a lot of shoulder hunching, wore plastic runners, hung around blocks of flats and were, as I already mentioned, tin. I wasn't tin. Although it wasn't for want of trying, I spent plenty of time on the Stairmaster at the gym. But no matter how much I Stairmastered, genetics had the final say. If my father had married a dainty little woman, I might have had a very different life. Very different ties, certainly. Instead, I was doomed for people to always describe me by saying, oh, she's a big girl. And they always added real quickly. Now, I'm not saying she's fat. The implication being that if I was fat, I could at least do something about it. No, they'd continue. She's a fine, big, tall girl. You know, strong, 
I was often described as strong. It really pissed me off. My boyfriend, Luke, sometimes described me as magnificent when the light was behind me and he'd had several points. At least that's what he said to me, you know. He probably went back to his friends and said, now, I'm not saying she's fat. The whole drug addict allegation came about one Friday morning when I was living in New York. It wasn't the first time I'd felt as if I was on cosmic candid camera. My life was prone to veering out of control and I had long stopped believing that the god who had been assigned to me was a benign owl lad with long hair and a beard. He was more like a celestial Jeremy Beadle. Who did Jesus is Jeremy Beadle? And my life was the showcase he used to amuse the other gods. Watch, he laughingly invites, as Rachel thinks she's got a new job and it's safe to hand in her notice on the old one. Little does she know that her new firm is just about to go bankrupt. Roars of laughter from all the other gods. Now watch, he chuckles, as Rachel hurries to meet her new boyfriend. See how she catches the heel of her shoe in a grating? See how it comes clean off? Little did Rachel know we had tampered with it. See how she limps the rest of the way? More sniggers from the assembled gods. But the best bit of all, laughs Jeremy, is that the man she was meeting never turns up. He only asked her out for a bet. Watch as Rachel squirms with embarrassment in the stylish bar. See the looks of pity the other women give her. See how the waiter gives her the extortionate bill for a glass of wine. And best of all, see how Rachel discovers she's left her purse at home. The events that led me being called a drug addict had the same element of celestial farce that the rest of my life had. What happened was, one night I'd sort of overdone it on the enlivening drugs and I couldn't get to sleep. I hadn't meant to overdo it, I had simply underestimated the quality of the cocaine that I had taken. I knew I had to get up for work the following morning, so I took a couple of sleeping tablets. After about 10 minutes, they hadn't worked, so I took a couple more. And still, my head was buzzing, so in desperation, thinking of how badly I needed my sleep, thinking of how alert I had to be at work, I took a few more. Eventually, got to sleep. A lovely deep sleep. So lovely and deep that when the morning came and my alarm clock went off, I neglected to wake up. Bridget, my flatmate, knocked on my door, then came into my room and shouted at me, then shook me, then, at our wit's end, slapped me. I didn't really buy the wit's end bit. She must have known the slapping wouldn't wake me, but no one is in good form on a Monday morning. But then Bridget stumbled across a piece of paper that I made attempting to write on just before I fell asleep. It was just the usual maudlin, mawkish, self-indulgent, poetry-type rubbish I wrote when I was under the influence. Stuff that seemed really profound at the time where I thought I'd discovered, like, the secret of the universe, but that caused me to blush with shame when I read it in the cold light of day. The bits that I could read, that is. The poem went something like, Mumble, mumble, life, something indecipherable. Bowl of cherries, mumble, all I get is the pits. Then, and I vaguely remember writing this bit, I thought of a really good title for a poem about a shoplifter who had suddenly discovered her conscience. It was called, I Can't Take Anymore. But Bridget, who'd recently gone all weird and uptight, didn't treat it as the load of cringe-making rubbish it so clearly was. Instead, when she saw an empty jar of sleeping tablets rolling around on my pillow, she decided it was a suicide note. And before I knew it, and really was before I knew it because I was still asleep. Well, asleep or unconscious, depending on whose version of the story you believe. She had rung for an ambulance and I was in Mount Solomon having my stomach pumped. 
that was unpleasant enough, but there was worse to come. Bridget had obviously turned into one of those New York abstention fascists, the kind who like think if you wash your hair with Linko beer shampoo more than twice a week, they say that you're an alcoholic and you should be on a 12-step program. So she rang my parents in Dublin and told them that I had a serious drug problem and that I'd just tried to kill myself. And before I could intervene and explain that it had all been an embarrassing misunderstanding, my parents had rung my painfully well-behaved older sister, Margaret, who, by the way, arrived on the first available flight from Chicago with her equally painful husband, Paul. Margaret was only a year older than me, but it felt like 40. She was intent on ferrying me to Ireland to the bosom of my family, where I would stay briefly before being admitted to some Betty Ford type place to sort me out for good and for all, as my father said when he rang me. Of course, I had no intention of going anywhere, but by then I was real frightened. And not just by the talk of going home to Ireland into a clinic, but because my father had rung me. He'd wrong me. That had never happened in the whole of my 27 years. It was hard enough to get him to say hello whenever I rang home and it was one of them rare occasions when he answered the phone. The most he could ever manage was, which one of you is that? Oh, Rachel. Hold on till I get your mother. And then there was nothing except banging and bashing as he dropped the phone and ran to get ma'am. I'm not saying mum, it's ma'am, okay? And if ma'am wasn't there, he was terrified. Your mother's not here, he said, his voice high with alarm. The subtext being, please, please don't let me have to talk to you. Not because he didn't like me or was like a cold, unapproachable father or anything like that. He's a lovely man. That I could grudgingly admit by the time I was 27 and had lived away from home for eight years. That he wasn't the great withholder of money for new jeans that my sisters and I loved to hate during our teenage years. But despite dad's lovely manness, he won big on conversation. Not unless I wanted to talk about golf. So the fact that he had rung me must have meant that I'd really messed up this time. Fearfully, I tried to set things straight. There's nothing wrong with me, I told Dad. It's all been a mistake and I'm fine. But he was having none of it. You're coming home, he said. I was having none of it either, though. Dad, behave yourself. Be, be realistic here. I can't just walk out on my life. What can't you walk out on, he asked. My job, for example, I said. I can't just abandon my job. I've already spoken to them at your work and they agreed with me that you should come home, he said. Suddenly, I found myself staring into the abyss. You did what? I could hardly speak, I was so afraid. What had they told Dad about me? I spoke to them at your work, repeated Dad in the same level tone of voice. You big stupid Egypt, I swallowed. To who? Chap called Eric, said Dad. He said he was your boss. Oh God, I said. Okay, so I was a 27-year-old woman and it shouldn't matter if my father knew that I was sometimes late for work. But it did matter. I felt the way I had 20 years earlier when he and ma'am were called up to the school to account for my ongoing dearth of completed homework. This is awful, I said to dad. What'd you have to go ring and work for? I'm so embarrassed. What'll they think? They'll sack me for this, you know. Rachel... From what I can gather, they were just about to anyway, said Dad's voice from across the Atlantic. Ah, no. The game was up. Dad knew. Eric must have really gone to town on my shortcomings. I don't believe you, I protested. You're only saying that to make me come home. I'm not, said Dad. Let me tell you what this Eric said. No chance. I could hardly bear to think about what Eric said, never mind hear it. Everything was fine at work until you rang them. I lied frantically. You've caused nothing but trouble. I'm going to ring Eric and tell him that you're a lunatic, that you escaped from a loony bin and not to believe a word you said. Rachel, Dad sighed heavily. I barely said a thing to this Eric chap. 
He did all the talking and he only seemed delighted to let you go. Let me go? I said faintly. As in, fire me? You mean I got no job? That's right. Dad sounded very matter of fact. Well, great, I said tearfully. Thanks for ruining my life. There was silence while I tried to absorb the fact that I was once again without a job. Was God be the rerunning the old tapes up there? Okay, what about my flat? I challenged, seeing as you're so good at messing things up for me. Margaret will sort that out with Bridget, said Dad. Sort out? I had expected the question of my flat would totally stump Dad. I was shocked that he'd already addressed the matter. They were acting as if something was really wrong with me. She'll pay a couple of months' rent to Bridget so that Bridget has breathing space to find someone new. Someone new? I shrieked, but this is my home! From what I can gather, yourself and Bridget haven't been getting on too well. Dad sounded... awkward. He was right. And we'd been getting along a whole lot worse since she made that phone call and brought the interference of my family tumbling down on top of me. I was furious with her, and for some reason she seemed to be furious with me too. But Bridget was my best friend, and we'd always shared a flat. It was out of the question for someone else to move in with her. You've gathered a lot, I said dryly. He said nothing. An awful bloody lot, I said, much more wetly. I wasn't defending myself as well as I normally would have. But, you know, to tell the truth, my trip to the hospital had taken more out of me than just the contents of my stomach. I felt shaky and not inclined to fight with Dad, which wasn't like me at all. Disagreeing with my father was something I did as instinctively as refusing to sleep with mustachioed men. So, there's nothing to stop you coming home and getting sorted out, said Dad. But I have a cat, I lied. You can get another one, he said. But I have a boyfriend, I protested. You can get another one of those too, said Dad. (laughs) Easy for him to say. Put me back onto Margaret and I'll see you tomorrow, said Dad. You will in your arse, I muttered. And that seemed to be that. Luckily, I had taken a couple of Valium. Otherwise, I might have been very upset indeed. Margaret was sitting beside me. In fact, she seemed to be constantly by my side, once I thought about it. After she had finished talking to Dad, I decided to put a stop to all the nonsense. It was time for me to grab back control of the reins of my life. Because this one funny. It wasn't entertaining, it wasn't diverting, it was unpleasant, and above all, it was unnecessary. Margaret, I said briskly, there is nothing wrong with me. I'm sorry you've had a wasted journey, but please go away and take your husband with you. This has all been a big, huge, terrible mistake. I don't think it is, she said. Bridget says, never mind what Bridget says, I interrupted. I'm actually worried about Bridget because she's gone so weird. She used to be fun once. Margaret looked doubtful and then she said, but you do seem to take an awful lot of drugs. It might seem like an awful lot to you, I explained gently, but you're a liquors, so any amount would seem like loads. It was true that Margaret was a liquors. I had four sisters, two older and two younger, and Margaret was the only well-behaved one of the lot. My mother used to run her eye along all of us and sadly say, well, you know, one out of five ain't bad. I'm not a liquors, she complained. I'm just ordinary. Yes, Rachel. Paul had stepped forward to defend Margaret. She's not a liquors, just because she's not a, a junkie who can't get a job and whose husband leaves her. Unlike some, she finished darkly. I spotted a flaw in his argument. My husband hasn't left me, I protested in my defence. That's because you haven't got one, said Paul. Paul was obviously referring to my eldest sister, Claire, who managed to get ditched by her husband on the same day that she gave birth to her first child. Call back! And I have a job, 
I reminded him. Not anymore, you don't. He smirked. I hated him. And he hated me. I didn't take it personally. He hated my entire family. He had a hard job deciding which one of Margaret's sisters he hated the most. And well, he might. There was stiff competition among us for the position of black sheep. There was Claire, 31, the deserted wife. Me, 27, allegedly a junkie. Anna, 24, who'd never had a proper job and who sometimes sold hash to make ends meet. And there was Helen, 20. And frankly, I wouldn't know where to begin. We all hated Paul as much as he hated us. Even ma'am, though she wouldn't admit to it. She liked to pretend that she liked everyone in the hope that it might help her jump the queue into heaven. Paul was such a pompous know-it-all. He wore the same kind of jumpers as dad did and bought his first house when he was 13 or something by saving up his first communion money. You better get back on the phone to dad, I told Margaret, because I'm going nowhere. How right you are, agreed Paul nastily. Christ, Chloe. What? <laughs> I suppose, yeah. No, no, that was that was really good now, in fairness. Did you uh, decide you had to up your game after Saoirse's uh, killer reading last week? Are you saying I wouldn't have been able to bring that level of artistry otherwise? That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Harsh. Harsh but fair. No, like, Chloe, that was just, oh my God. Like, there's no way I could have read that that well. All right, Princess Diaries, go easy. <laughs> no, like, I was just trying to be nice. Here, lads, if we make Thersha cry now, we won't be able to, like, make fun of her for the rest of the, the show. So I wonder, should we just, like, go easy for now? That's a really good point, actually. I have a lot of posho material that I want to use in, in the last <laughs> I'm so part. i confused. I don't understand. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe if we leave it there, we, we've got another ad break coming up and, uh, you know, we, we can we can take care of all of the uh, in-group bullying that we want to or maybe get a mediator in here. Um, and um, while, whilst, while you guys are, are listening to, I don't know, whatever it is that College Radio wants to advertise this week, very excited to hear what uh, we're going to add on to following on from the whole hip bone situation earlier. Um, but yeah, uh, stay tuned, please. We will not bully Sersha anymore. That's a lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if you'll please just come back and, and listen to more Chicklet for Life after after these messages. Remember when nobody had a face tattoo and only skinny guys wore skinny jeans? Well, that's where we're going. Back to a simpler time next Thursday at the Monsters Ball. We want to see tinfoil. We want to see weird glasses. We want to see the ocean of Katy Perry impressions that we know you've got inside you, do you see? Bring your inner Lady Gaga. Bring Beyonce before the Super Bowl. Bring Kesha before that weird exchange with Jerry Seinfeld. If we see one whip or one nene, you're getting thrown out. All we want to see all night is you cranking that left to right. You got that Superman. Is that, is that how, is that, okay, no, no, next week, the Monsters Ball. Wear 2000s gear. Please come. Funded by the Events Office for Events Students' Union. Okay, like, I'm not being weird, but when I do my makeup proper, I really do look like Lady Gaga. You know, I I can see that. Yeah, yeah, like, like you say, like the poker face kind of thing, if you straightened your fringe, like. Exactly, Kleena, exactly. So, like, are you going to show up with, like, a pair of hubcaps strapped to your shoulders and just a pair of tights, or, or what's going to happen there? Well, I clearly haven't designed a costume yet, but 
basically, yeah. And like real high boots. You know them real high boots I do wear when we go out now? The ones you tried to kill me with that time? The very same, Kathleen. That's, that's not my name. It's just, it's, it's, it is like herding cats, I swear. Um, welcome back, the three listeners we've probably still got on air. Bless your beautiful patience. Welcome back to, to, to today's episode of Chicklet for Life. Um, as, uh, as you may remember, uh, we were talking about Rachel's holiday today, um, or Rachel's holiday, as, as Chloe has, has lovingly termed it. It's, it's just fun to say holiday. Give it a go. Holiday. It's hilarious. It's, uh, I'm, I'm okay, actually. Um, anyway, um, we, 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 uh, had an excerpt of, of the book, uh, right before the break. Um, any thoughts on that, um, to, to start off with? Well, like, I, I don't remember the beginning being so, like, dark or whatever. Like, I mean, there, Rachel seems, like, awful. But when I was reading it first, I was, like, rooting from her from the beginning, from, from what I remember. But, like, what about the drug-taking stuff? Well, I mean, obviously I don't agree with that kind of thing. <laughs> Naturally. Um, Chloe, like, that bloke offered you a joint in the smoking area in McGowan's last week and you nearly kicked him in the face. Bleeding right I did. Drugs are filth. Even, like, weed? Gateway drugs, Katie? I am horrified. Horrified at you, I am. Permission to begin referring to Chloe as Mother Perpetua? All in favour? Uh, here, I just don't get it. Why would you throw a load of stuff into your system and you don't even, like, know what it is? Like, it's so stupid. Do you know what was in the taco fries you had last night? Ah, here, Katie, don't start with that. This is just pretty unclear what that meat is. I mean, that's that's all I'm saying. Yeah, but it's not like it's mixed with rat poison or nothing, is it? Ah, here, use our load of bitches, user. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here, let's let's get back. Let's get back to what we were talking about before we decided to... Um, dissect what's what's in taco fries we're talking about how rachel wasn't too like sympathetic exactly thank you sarah uh yeah she was like real like selfish or something but we all ended up rooting for her while we were reading mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. so like why was that um well like i guess she's she's lost like isn't she hmm well, like, she's in New York with her mate Bridget, like, and they're living together. They're living this, like, glamorous life, or at least that's what they're, like, aiming for. Like, you know the way you see them TV shows that are, like, set in New York, Friends and all that, and, like, everybody's going to parties and they're hooking up with people the whole time. And, like, it seems like Rachel and, and Bridget, they're at least at the beginning of the book when Rachel's talking about what it was like to live in New York. That's kind of what they were trying to do. They were trying to be New York people. Yeah, but like in like all doing all that, like Rachel's like not able to hold down a job because she's partying all the time and like she's borrowing money off everybody and like not paying it back and all. Yeah, like I know, I can't imagine doing that either. That's it, like you have to pay your own way. You can't just go around relying on other people like that. Like you'll end up with nobody around you. Nobody's going to want to be friends with you or nothing. And that's kind of, but that's what I thought was like real interesting. Like, because Rachel kind of didn't get that. She didn't get that like other people needed their own money. She sort of like felt like she was a victim kind of. And it was, it was just real weird like that she didn't steal because like she was just trying to get away with it or nothing. There was like, a weird kind of twisted reasoning like and and that was that was kind of really really sad she had like totally deluded herself i felt really really bad for her like that she didn't think she belonged in rehab and all that stuff like all of it like thinking she was better than the other people in there but it's like 
when I was reading it, it was sort of like she wanted to know where she fits in that ranking so she could like start working her way up like because she didn't think she was that great either but she was sort of like oh here at least I'm not as bad as these other people and then you kind of get to watch her interact with that idea and and end up somewhere different with it later on in the book she did have like loads of shame stuff going on like you said that earlier on clean and you're right like like i hate all that psychology crap but like that easter egg thing that was a bit real now for me that was i felt that oh my god yeah like could you imagine like a little girl going through that like and like feeling like she couldn't tell anybody oh my god it was so sad uh for those of you that haven't read the book uh again trying to keep spoilers to a minimum and this kind kind of thing but like Rachel during her therapy um but when she enters rehab like we've talked about it a little bit you know she she clearly has issues with shame and stuff and that's that's one area that that the book kind of ex- explores a little bit and as part of her therapy she relates one of her earliest memories which is eating an easter egg that that didn't belong to her um it doesn't sound like a big deal i think we've all done something along those lines but like Rachel's memory of it is is pretty tough going it's yeah it's pretty full on impulse control man it's no joke. But like, that's the reason why you don't do it. Or like, if you do end up doing something you're not supposed to, you take it on the chin. Like you were caught out or you fess up, you know, you're going to get reefed out of it. You may as well get it over with, you know. The longer you hide stuff, the worse it gets. I didn't understand that hiding it thing. You know, you do it bleeding, just, yeah, take it like a man. But what if that's like real scary though? Like, you know, especially when you're a kid, like when things are like horrible, like you, you do tell stupid lies to cover things over that you might think are your own fault like you know you know totally totally no seriously definitely same uh cleaner like i and i do guess you could follow that into full-blown drug addiction i guess but i don't i don't i don't know no go on what what were you gonna say um like like it might be stupid but like the for me, anyway, when I was reading it, the, the way Rachel goes on through the book, like, it's like she can't stand herself. Like, like we were saying, you know, she's always talking about other people and, like, other fantasies and, like, what she should be like. Like, I, I don't know, like, when I was reading up for the discussion today, like, I, I found a lot of information on, like, drug use as, like, a way to, like, get away from yourself. Like, that you, you want to be outside of your own head so you introduce like a substance to to block your own thoughts or whatever like I suppose that makes sense like like when Rachel starts like taking the coke and she's going on about like how sexy she suddenly thinks she is and like how amazing and interesting she is and all but like if you need this gear to like feel like that then clearly there's something wrong you know like why would you keep doing that why wouldn't you just kind of figure out what makes you feel sexy that isn't an addictive substance well dude you could say the same about anything you know like why why wear makeup why shave your legs katie i swear if you tell me to read that book by that hairy chick one more time i will not be held (laughs) accountable for my actions (laughs) emer o'toole She's got this amazing book, Girls Will Be Girls, a lot of stuff in there about what it's like to be a woman and, like, the pressure we put on ourselves. It's a valid point. Katie, coke isn't the same as shaving your armpit. Why not? Why not? Seriously, why not? If they're both ways to present yourself differently and to feel differently about yourself, why Why are they different? Eh, uh, I'm not in rehab for a shaving habit, am I? We- yeah, I, sp- I suppose that's fair. <laughs> 
Well, do you know what? Like, let's let's talk a little bit more about Rachel and what she was doing in rehab, and and a lot less about body hair, if that's all right. Yeah, uh, unless it's Luke's. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Adam is better looking than Luke. Oh, dare uh, I said it? Take it back, Chloe. <laughs> Katie, accept your fate as a future footballer's wife. You, me. Old Trafford every year. It's going to be class. There was no reason for that guy to follow me. Oh, like your profiler has nothing to do with it. Isn't her profile picture though that, that guy from that Dragon Ball Z show? Oh, that Dragon Ball Z, Z show. His name is Vegeta. You know his name is Vegeta. You big, big nerd, <laughs> Kleena Devery. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. It's, it's always more of a piccolo girl myself. Hey, you like him mean, you like him green. Who am I to argue? are freaks <laughs> but uh, yeah like maybe yeah sarah you're right you know in honor of our title you know if we're gonna keep this chick lit for life maybe we talk a little bit about the uh, the sexiness in this book oh my uh, let's try and keep it clean now people well i mean we can try but it's gonna be hard like she really went in on this one compared to like watermelon right seriously like the the kitchen and the taxi and okay you guys getting a little close to the bone here <laughs> bone <laughs> So, um, Jesus, maybe if we tried talking about the sex-a-ness without uh, giving away any major plot points? Um, well, I mean, we were talking earlier about how I was continuing my heartbreak healing journey thing uh, with, with this book next. And, um, you know, I read Watermelon to help me get over him. And by the time I got through this one, I was uh, in no need of further cheering up. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sir. <laughs> No, no, like it's clearly, you know, the book is very sexy and enjoyable and all of those things. Like the the tension that you see where Rachel is like fighting against what she really wants um, in favor of what she thinks she should do to like be accepted in, yeah, her, her sexy New York sex in the city situation that she's trying to do. Like that was that was really effective in like building sexual tension as well, you know, as well as kind of furthering the story and keeping the stakes high. Yeah, like reading it, you feel like you were at that party waiting for like Luke and his mates to show up, you know, like it was as tense as if you were waiting for your own new bloke to show up to something you'd planned or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was good. All right. And like, even if I don't agree with that long of hair on a bloke, because I don't. The scenes with Luke, like, either where there was all that sexual tension at the beginning or, like, where they were really beginning to, like, fall for each other and all. Oh, like, that was, no, that was, like, real class. Like, you did feel like you were, like, part of the relationship, which is actually, that's a bit weird, isn't it? To say out loud, like, <laughs> on the radio. What? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like... We're getting a bit jazz freeform again here, gang. Um, Katie, maybe back to you. Since you're yeah our guitarist aficionado, um, maybe we'll give you a bit of uh, Luke time. Uh, if you take us through, yeah, what like Rachel's relationship with Luke, like maybe tells us about her and like all that good stuff. What what did you get about that when when you were reading the book? Um, uh, yeah, I guess. Um, well, like, I guess it's kind of similar to what we said about Claire and Watermelon last week. Like, we get to experience New York and, like, later the rehab 
facility like through Rachel like and the thing is like you were saying like she's never annoying even though like the stuff she says is like super victim-y sometimes like all the stuff she does is stupid like she she avoids Luke for ages early in the book like but you don't like get mad at her for it which like yeah I think that says a lot actually about like Marion Keyes's skill as a writer that you're able to like identify with this character even though she's doing like really 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 annoying stuff can't help but notice you didn't answer the question there, Kay. I have more, Jesus. Um, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, say, for example, like, when Rachel's living in New York and, like, enjoying her drug habit, she sees Luke and his mates, like, around, like, all the time. But they're not part of, like, the group she thinks she needs to be in with. Like, there's that shame thing again. Like, she needs to be somebody else. She needs to be like these other people that she sees around all the time and then she'll be acceptable. But because Luke and his mates aren't, like, in that group, she kind of ignores them despite like the fact that he's a massive 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 ride massive precisely Kleena thanks um but like they do have to cross paths sometime right or else we, we wouldn't have a book um and when they do Rachel notices that she can just like be herself with this guy because he's not part of like the squad goals group she's been chasing and like when she's being herself she's like mad about him which is like really cool because like most of the time she's not being herself she's trying to be somebody else and as soon as she is she's like really really happy and like you know many uh delightful escapades ensue oh my Saoirse Cullen I am surprised at you (laughs) no you're not Chloe well, no, I suppose not. But like on air, my God. Okay, let's let's clean it up here, folks. Um, I I want to go back um to something you said a little earlier on, Sersha, about drugs being a way to to get away from yourself. That was kind of interesting. Uh, maybe we'll give the the sex anus a bit of a rest and 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 do some some psychology with uh with. Dr. Cullen. Oh, but like I did speak to my mom about this. You know, she does do some volunteering work with, with Merchant's Key, you know, um, as part of, you know, the, the therapy um, stuff that, that she looks after. Um, and she gave me some material to read and so much of being addicted to anything like drugs, gambling, alcohol, sex. There seems to be like a desire to, to get away from something um, as as part of that, you know. But like that's 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 the thing I don't get. Like we were talking earlier on, there's nothing wrong with Rachel's life. She's living in New York. She had a job. She's from a nice family. Like I don't get it. Why does she like keep messing everything up? Like she thinks she's a bit crap, like most people do, but she keeps making it genuinely worse for herself. Yeah, but like that's the thing. The thing that makes her um get in her own way is like trying to be somebody else. But like that's what I don't get. Like why would you try to be somebody else when you've got like all that going for you? Like maybe if you are from like skid row like the projects or something or you were getting beat up at home or like I don't know, but like it's like one of us wanting to be somebody else. Like you've never thought about that? You have? It, I, I don't know, it doesn't matter like but why though? No, like I, I don't know. It's, uh, like it's a bit like I I don't know. Like you never feel like everybody else kind of knows what they're doing. Like or like everybody else has like I don't know their own personality, and like you're just kind of also there. You know, everybody's playing a role, and and you don't really like have one well well, like that's that's like a really interesting thing yeah that i found when i was reading up on on that too Kleena. yeah it's a really good point like some people 
can be like really judgmental of others. And, and those people who, who do have that kind of judgmental tendency, they tend to be a lot more likely to be judgmental of themselves. You know, and we see that with Rachel. What are you saying? That I'm a secret coke fiend. You do talk a lot of shit about a lot of people, dude. You can't be a good bitch, Katie. It's very, very, very therapeutic. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> but um, yeah, like in the reading I was doing, there were some quotes from Carl Jung. Um, he's, he's a psychologist. Um, super interesting. But he said that addiction is, um, oh, where is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness. And I found this passage too, where he describes the effects of he himself being drunk uh, when he was super young. Um, there was no longer any inside or outside, no longer an I and the others. Caution and timidity were gone and the earth and the sky, the universe and everything in it that creeps and flies, revolves, rises or falls had all become one. Yeah, but did he puke on his new suede boots? Still not over that, Chloe. Katie, I don't think you understand how beautiful they were. They were, they were the perfect pair of boots. And now, now they're up there with my heelys and my loom bands in that big yellow skip in the sky. I don't really know that's what um, Mr. Young was getting at. Um, so like maybe back to what you were talking about, Sersha. So like if someone feels like that they don't really belong and that there's something that gets rid of that feeling and helps them feel whole, they'll like want that feeling again and again. Is is that kind of what you're getting at? Uh, yeah, I could see that like a like a hard type of escapism kind of. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And like Rachel kind of spends a lot of the book like trying to show how she's different to or like better than other people trying to like prove herself kind of. Yeah, I didn't like that. I mean, like, she's now Helen. Get over it. Yeah, but like, that's the big thing. And that's kind of like what you were saying earlier, Kleena. Like, all of Rachel's sisters, like, had this really specific personality. Like, Helen's the good-looking one, Claire's the brainy one, Margaret's the good one, Anna's the sweet sort of not really there one. And Rachel kind of felt like she didn't have a personality, kind of. Yeah, like, that's that's what I thought anyway and like I think a lot of the time people think that like wanting to be somebody else or taking drugs and that kind of thing is like a way to get away from pressure but like here you see that like Rachel doesn't have any demands on her life and but that's kind of the reason why she wanted to get away from herself like even when you she's talking about being in the family at home and she's kind of just following her mom around and and her sisters are all doing their own thing like like uh, we were saying there they're all kind of different and they all have their own way of being they all serve a purpose kind of thing and, and Rachel's just kind of following everybody around and just kind of is is there and she sort of seems like she doesn't have a place and then when she goes to to New York she's trying to figure out her place there and, and create a place for herself create the kind of person she'll be to fit in that place and and that's not that's not working for her either it seems like being ignored will will make you feel like you want to get away from yourself as well because because who are you if you're being ignored you know it's real it's real sad I I just don't get it I really don't like people say that you can be anything you want to be like why would some people need drugs or booze to be able to handle being who they are anyway I don't I genuinely don't get it well like I guess that's the question isn't it like I mean like you probably know people that have been involved in drugs at some point Chloe right what N no like it's it's still a problem in in and around Cabra in and around Cabra 
just because I'm from Cabra, I'll know a bunch of drug dealers. Oh yeah, because everyone around where I live is just either out of prison or off their faces on smack. Sarah, Jesus Christ, my brother's training to be a solicitor. Who do no, you think no, you are? No, I, I, I didn't mean. You did? Why didn't you ask Sarah whether she has any banker cousins that are out offering coke to strippers after they're done in the office, right? Why aren't you asking Katie whether she's on acid right now? What? I, I think it's something to do with the Eclectic Music Society. No, you shut up, alright? You have a problem with where I'm from, you have a problem with me, okay? You know what? No, you know what? I don't need this. I don't need this. Chloe, don't. No. Chloe, I can, I can go she after can. her. Uh, um, no, uh, no. Do you know what? We're, we're just about out of time anyway. Um, uh, uh, we can, we, we can talk later. That, that really wasn't okay, Sarah. Um, Katie, uh, here, you know what? There was another point you had wanted to bring up today, um, but it looks, um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're out of time now, so we can, we can talk about it maybe next week. Um, sh- sure. Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll take that up next week. We also don't have time for the, uh, the Easter eggs. Um, also Chloe has one and it wouldn't be fair to, uh, to do it without her. Um, so, listeners, um, next week we'll be discussing Last Chance Saloon, our first non-Walch story, but we'll be comparing one aspect of it with uh, Rachel's Holiday, so we'll be able to do the the things to look out for from both books um, then. Um, so, so tune in next week to 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 hear more uh, about that. Thanks, everyone. Need your voice heard? Call in this week to Dodoy. And I'd like to make a complaint about the discussion on last week's show. It promoted public urination. What was she even saying about public urination? Why? Like, what's so wrong with peeing outside? Like, lads can just stand up. Like, what's the problem? Because you're gonna pee on my shoes! What's wrong with you? Why are you, like, placing unreasonable urinary standards on me? Like, I'm just minding my own business, expelling some urine. What, like, what's the problem? <laughs> Same time, for some reason, the exact same conversation. Tune in, Dodoy, Thursdays.